Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. A few weeks ago, I had a talk with my son and we were discussing how to handle issues with people that they know or coworkers, roommates, and how do you handle any bad disagreements? And I told him that the 24-hour rule is what we use. The 24-hour rule is something that we started when we were newlyweds. We kind of lived by this, but it was really put into place when thinking about large purchases. So the advice that I gave my son was that you really need to give yourself 24 hours to make a rational decision because that first 24 hours is full of nothing but emotion. So let me back up a little bit and tell you why my husband and I came up with this rule. Well, when you're a newlywed, you know, you're still feeling your way around, even if you've been living together, And then you start making big purchases together, whether it's a house, whether it's a car, whether it's a new set of very expensive pots and pans, something like that. Well, before you spend that money, uh, emotionally, when you see it, before you spend the money on a product, it's really a good idea for us to take a 24-hour pause, go home, talk about it, sleep on it. And then if we wake up really, really wanting it, then we go and get it because we've actually put some thought into it and we're making sure that this is what's right for us. We've used this when it came to buying a house. We use this when it came to buying actually all of our vehicles. We've also used this in personal life. And why it's important in personal interactions is because as managers, as business owners, the most important part of being successful is handling the human resources part of your business. You can get very big. You can really grow your practice and be successful. But if you have team members that are constantly coming and going or not communicating, your successful practice is slowly going to erode just because that's what happens when you don't have good communications between the teams. You know, and patients pick up on that kind of thing. Let's go back a little bit. Let me talk again about why I gave my son this this advice. So with the 24-hour rule, you, you don't have to make an emotional decision right then and there. Now, I realize there are some decisions that you have to make at the drop of a hat. I get that. But say you have a disagreement with somebody and you really are thinking of all these things to fire back because at that moment in time, it's really important that you make your point. Well, right then, that's you talking with your emotions. Will it feel good to get your point across? Will it feel good to see the look on their face as they realize that you were right? Of course, it's going to feel good. But will that help in the long run solve the problem? Because this conversation that you're having, this emotional feeling that you're having might be a symptom of a much bigger problem. And when you make a lot of emotional decisions, you tend to find out over time that they're not often the best decisions you've ever made. It also gives you some time to go home and do some research, some soul searching. I know that's typically what I did, you know, before everybody jumped on Google to research everything, you would, you know, go and and ask your parents, ask your neighbors, ask your friends, your boss. 
what is it about this? And what do I need to know about this? And remember back before we had, you know, Google for everything, if you wanted to buy a car, you had to read consumer reports, you had to go to the library and see what they had on file, you know, the magazines, if you didn't have access to that. I know you younger people, you're like, what are you talking about? There was a time when we couldn't get online to look up everything. Everything was in magazines and in reference books. Well, now we can do that. So the 24-hour rule is even more important because look at all the more information that you can have. Typically, my 24-hour rule was taken up by talking to my dad, who's probably my rock, you know, aside from my husband. And he always had great advice for me, you know, especially growing up. I always wanted to get his opinion on all my situations and he always gave really good advice. But even if I didn't take the advice, which, you know, as teenagers and young people, you don't always take the advice that you're given. What it did was it calmed me down and it had me think about the issue from a couple different angles. Angles I may not have thought about at the time because, you know, emotion is emotion is a really, really tough thing to kind of tamper down. And that's why you need to let it dissipate over time. That's why the 24 hours is great. The soul searching part, you know, aside from doing the research and reaching out to your friends and family, the soul searching part is really important for you to go through. Many of you will have that on the drive home. You'll drive home and you'll think of all of the things that you could have said and all of the things you're going to say tomorrow. And then by the time you get home, you've changed your mind five different ways on how you are going to say it. So imagine if you changed your mind a couple different times on the ride home. Maybe your initial reaction may not have been the best one. That's enough for me to think, okay, I need to, I need to sleep on this a little bit. I always woke up with a clearer head. I won't say that I didn't wake up with a headache because of it. Some of these issues are huge, but I always woke up a little bit clearer and with a fresh look on it. You know, if something continued to make me angry after the 24 hour period, that's fine. I'm now going to acknowledge that this is something I can't ignore. What that tells me is that it's something I'm not going to be able to let go of. And so it's really important that I get to the bottom of whatever's bothering me. So when would you need 24 hours? So I gave you the example of my son having a, an issue with a, you know somebody at his campus. But what about in the dental setting? Let's think about why you would need 24 hours in the dental setting. So I'm not just talking about the relationship issues, we'll get to that in a second. I'm talking about big purchases. Okay. We have all known a doctor who loves to go to trade shows. And even though they weren't planning on purchasing something, there were exceptional representatives on the floor and they were able to sell whatever it is to your dentist at the time. Maybe if you're the dentist listing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You probably remember the salesperson's face because you realized they were really, really good at talking you into that purchase. Well, some of the equipment is, they're big. They're, they come with leases. They come with very large numbers. And you know they want you to sign right then and there because there's going to be a discount. There's going to be a show special, all of that. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the sales cycle. And you know we all know that when we go to the trade show floor, we, we know there's going to be specials from an inventory point of view. You know We would take a look at the office you know, for, say, the greater New York meeting, for example. I would take a look at what I had in inventory and I would know that there were going to be show specials around the greater New York. And so I would wait if I needed to buy Impergum, I would wait. Do we have enough to get us by? Because there's going to be a big show special at the greater New York. Here's a little tip for you. You don't necessarily have to go to the greater New York trade show. The reason why is because most of their reps are going to offer that anyways. So if you know when the greater New York happens, when the Chicago midwinter happens, when the ADA happens, Hinman, 
and CDA Anaheim. If you know the timeframes for those, call your rep and say, hey, I know they're offering a special or just say, hey, are there any show specials going on for the CDA meeting? And if there are, great. You get to benefit from that. Didn't even have to leave the office. That's fantastic, actually. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the trade show floor. I know that many times when you are asked to purchase this laser, you're asked to purchase this you know, milling machine, and those are really, really big purchases. So before you do that, I would love for you to talk to your accountant about what this means. You know, Make sure that you're purchasing it correctly, making sure that you know where it's going to be uh, accounted for in your uh, books, your profit and loss and, and all of that. That's the stuff that you need to really take a look at. And then never mind all of that, you need to make sure that you have the money to do it. You need to make sure and be comfortable that your cash flow is going to be able to support it or your savings are going to be able to support it. The worst thing that can happen is you buy this beautiful equipment, this new way of doing dentistry, you get it back to the office and nobody's excited with you and you can't use it. And then it just sits in the corner. I wish I could tell you I never saw that, but that was so common in many of the offices that I went into. Also, before you make a big purchase, that's going to change how dentistry is done in your practice, take a temperature of the office and see if they're on board. I'm not saying that that keeps you from purchasing it. It is, after all, your practice, doctor. It is your practice. But knowing that the team members are going to support you will help you decide whether or not it's time to pull the trigger on that purchase. Maybe you're looking at buying a practice. Maybe you're at a dental society meeting. And and this is a true story. I had a call from a doctor. He was at a dental society meeting. He was on the way home. And he said a doctor was looking to sell his practice. He just wanted to leave. He wanted to get out of the area. And the doctor came and pitched it to him. And he also pitched it to about two other people in the room and basically was saying, look, I got to sell this practice. I got to get out of you know this state and whatever his story was. And the doctor was very tempted because the price was good and he'd been looking to expand. Something told him, you know, hold off a second. So the office ended up selling to another dentist that was there and come to find out when the doctor who called me took a look at the numbers and really thought about it, it would not have been a good fit. It was actually a little bit too far geographically and he really wasn't ready to grow into a multi-location group. He was really looking at just purchasing the patient base and maybe some extra equipment. And that just was not a good fit for him. It actually would have been a lot more hassle to purchase this office and then have all of this stuff that goes with it to still, you know, to assume the lease and hire more staff because I'm sure that staff would have taken off. Although it was tempting and although there was some alcohol flowing, he did make the decision to drive home and think about it. And he figured, you know what, if the guy sells it, great. But in the time that he and I had talked about it, he did get a text from the doctor that had already sold. So, you know, somebody made an emotional decision and I hope that that doctor, whomever purchased it is happy and is making it, you know, rock and roll. That's great. But I think if I were in that situation, I could never have written a check for anything that I didn't leave the house intending to buy. You know what I mean? Other big purchases to think about are your jewelry store purchases and your cars, you know, going to a car dealership. It's kind of sexy sometimes, especially if you're thinking about buying a car. You know, if you're not thinking about buying a car, it's really nice because you just kind of walk by and you're like, oh, wow, that's really expensive. But when you're in the mood to buy a car, when you're needing a car, all of those vehicles look just awesome. So it's very tempting to drive by the car dealership and say, hey, you know what? Let me swing in here. I've been thinking about getting rid of this and then walk off, drive off the lot with a new car. You haven't done the research. You haven't taken a look at the model and looked at all the incentives and you haven't done any online purchasing or research. You haven't done any of that yet. But you know, if you're happy with the car, I can't 
I can't disagree with you, but would that 24 hours have yielded a different result? Perhaps there was a different model that you weren't even considering. Jewelry store, I just have to say, kind of speaks for itself. Jewelry store purchases are typically not small dollars. And yes, it's easy to fall in love with a gorgeous ring when you walk by and see it. But that gorgeous ring, first thing you have to ask yourself is always, can we really afford it? My husband and I had many of those conversations because when I walk by and see a really nice, beautiful ring, I am just going to look at it. Now I don't really want it as much, but you know, when you're young and newlyweds, you're like, oh, the jewelry, look at the jewelry. And every time there's a jewelry sale, you want to go to the mall and check it out. It's all different now, but that's kind of how it was. Okay. So let's talk about the 24 hours that are needed for people, needed for relationships, some examples of that. And this is, this is hard. I'm going to go personal and then I'm going to go into the professional setting. So what if you're fighting with your spouse or your partner? I know a lot of my friends have this rule where they don't go to bed mad at each other. You know, and that, that's something that we've tried to. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but for the most part, it does. But fighting with your spouse or partner, when you have a big blowout, you know, so we, say things, we say things emotionally to our family members. That's always been the way, right? But 24 hours, sometimes you need to sleep on it because some of the stuff that flies out of your mouth, you know, I know, your spouse or partner knows. Sometimes that's not really what you mean. It just kind of flies out. So I'm not going to go into your personal life. That's not my business. But I know that for myself, that has been very helpful. Now let's go back into the professional setting. So having a fight with your boss, having a fight with upper management, maybe you're the boss and you're fighting with upper management, you know, Uh, maybe you're dealing with your uh, executive team and it's not going the way you want to. Uh, Maybe you are working in a dental company and you don't understand why the, the sales rep is doing this, or you don't understand why biz dev is doing this over here. And you just don't see each other's point of view. And so you end up having just some big fights. What if you have an employee that comes in and is threatening to quit or accuses you or another employee of you know, doing something wrong? This is all stuff that's going to get your goat. And what I mean by that is it's going to really get to you. It's just going to really just bug you. A lot of what you're going to think is, how dare you? And so there's that place of anger. You know, Somebody's throwing some accusations around. You may have employees that just do not like interacting with each other. And I'll talk about that in just a second because I have a lot of thoughts on that. And they may not be very popular, but it's worked for me. Okay. What about patients who are angry? So we have all had the patients that call on the phone and they're angry about maybe a bill or maybe they're in pain and they were told they weren't going to be in pain, whatever the scenario. When a patient calls angry, yes, you have to deal with it immediately, but it's a problem because you're stuck. You know, you're, you're just stuck. What about times that you made a mistake and you had to accept that you were wrong and you're beating yourself up about it? Okay, so I gave you some scenarios, but what I want to do is give you some advice for a few of these. Say you're having an argument with the upper management or the boss. Well, I have always taught and coached that if you are going to come to your boss with a problem, and it's going to be vice versa, if you're going to come to them with a problem, it really should not be around you. Let me give you an example of an exception. If somebody's harassing you, if somebody's being very rude to you, that of course is all about you and that that I can understand. But what I'm talking about is the performance of another employee or the fact that this new practice purchase is not working out We need to keep ourselves and our emotions out of it because ultimately 
when you make it about their leadership style or your leadership style, it becomes personal. What I would love for you to do is lead with the idea that we need to think about how it affects the practice. Let's think about this. When you tell me that you don't like how Sarah runs the morning huddle, it's annoying. She talks a lot. I don't ever understand what she's talking about. Do you see how I made it all about Sarah and I made it all about me? Think of it differently. I'd really like to talk about how the morning huddle is run. I don't feel I'm getting enough information to work with the patients. Can we do this differently? What you are doing is tying it back to patient care. It all comes back to patient care. Not necessarily even the health of the practice because the health of the practice ties back to patient care. So I always want you to, if you're going to come to anybody with a critique or a concern, don't make it about you. Make it about the impact to the practice and the impact on patient care. So if Jill is always late in the mornings and it's bugging you and you're talking to the boss and you're like, you know what? I, she needs to be fired. She does this all of the time. You're complaining about Jill now. And all that you're, they're going to hear is you complaining about Jill. And you know, in your personal life, if you have two people that don't like each other and all they do is complain to each other, what happens over time? When you start to hear them talk about it, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in your mind, you're doing, yeah, 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 yeah. You've heard it before. It's going to go the same way. There's nothing new to add to it. And that's why we can't make it personal. So what I'd rather you do is talk about the fact that when Jill is late, it affects everything. So I'm having a hard time making sure that I can get my patients seated on time when I don't know what's, what's on the schedule. The schedule's not clear, so I really need you to help me understand what I'm supposed to do with my first, second, and third patients. I don't have anybody here to tell me this, and I'm really afraid it's going to affect the patient. The other part of that is, let's go with the morning, model, morning huddle issue, because this, is, this comes up a lot. Either somebody doesn't contribute to the morning huddle or somebody is always late to the morning huddle. So if, let's use Jill again. So if Jill is late coming to the morning huddle, then she's not really giving her part. When I talk to Jill about it, I'm going to mention to her, if you show up late, then what that means is that I can't get that information out to the rest of the team. I can't talk to them about what the first few patients need in order to make the appointment go really smoothly. When the appointment doesn't start on time, Jill, what happens is we're not able to identify those open spots in the practice. We're not able to identify the times when the hygienist will need help with perio probing and all of that. So it takes a team to, dis- to determine all of that. But if one member of the team's not there, then the whole team is impacted. Yes, Jill needs to leave her house 10 minutes early, but we need to talk about it as if the team and the practice are greatly impacted And that's why we need to make a change. We all know that the patient's impacted, but we all know the biggest issue is that the team is getting resentful. Just make sure that you're not making it about that person. Make it about the process. Make it about how the end result is not being met. It's We're kind of falling down on that taking care of patients uh, promise that we have. Now, fighting with your boss or your upper management, that's really tough though, because you there's a chain of command that needs to be respected. And I want you to think of that too. Let me speak directly to the managers who are listening here. And as a manager myself, I was often looking out for the practice more than anybody else at that office. My doctor would say the same thing. I was always looking out for things that he wasn't even paying attention to because he knew I was paying attention to it. So it would often feel like I was... I was the only one looking out for the practice. And that gets to be be a heavy load. And I started to get resentful of that. 
when I would bring concerns to the doctor or when I would want to fire team members, I would bring it up to him or, and he would just say, yeah, I don't know if that's the case. Meanwhile, I've been putting weeks of thought into this. I've come up with what I think is the solution. And because he didn't agree with it, I'm, I'm now stuck. So what we need to remember as managers is that it is not our practice. As much as we feel like it's our practice, as much as we grew it, as much as our blood, sweat, and tears are involved in the practice, it is not our practice. In the end, the owner of the practice, the leader of the practice, typically the doctor, and I can't have you love the practice more than the owner of the practice does. So I'm going to say that again, because I say this in management classes and people come up all the time afterwards and say that hit, that hit hard. Let me say it again. You cannot love the practice more than the doctor loves the practice. It's a losing scenario. It's just not good. And I've seen it too often with managers who end up burning out. So maybe you're not a manager. Maybe you're an associate dentist and you're seeing all sorts of stuff going wrong and you just want to help. You just want to make it better. But for some reason, you're not getting any traction with it. So if it starts to give you too much heartburn, just remember the same mantra I gave to the managers is the same mantra I would give to you. You cannot care more than the owner of the practice. Perhaps you're buying in. You're still not the owner of the practice. They're the ones who have to make the decision. All of the mistakes of a practice are accountable to the leader. All of the bad leadership trickles down. I think we all know this, but there has to be a point where you, if it's unhealthy, you need to realize that it's time to cut your losses, to go grace another office with your fantastic presence. You know, sometimes I meet managers who are really just, they're just biding time. They're putting up with an office that does not deserve them. And when they leave, eventually, you know, I'm in, t- I'm in touch with a lot of them. When they leave, eventually, I will hear from them that it's the best decision that they made and they wish they had done it earlier. But everybody is on their own timeline. I think everything happens for a reason. I truly do. I truly believe that when it's your time, it's your time and, and things will happen in that manner. Can we help a little bit along the way? Absolutely. Drive, ambition, determination, all of that. But you know, I think sometimes we have to go through some of this, this learning experience in order to get better you know, from it. So what about these patients? Well, so how do you handle a patient that's angry? Or maybe they're even in front of you and they're angry. When you have to deal with an elevated conversation and you can't take that 24-hour pause right away because you know, you're not going to see them the next day, you still have to gain control back of the conversation. And typically how I do that is I move them to a different area. I'll put them in a different room. What that does is it breaks up the momentum of their anger in their head. Bear with me on this. And I've read a lot on this, that if you change situations, if you change the environment, the tone of the conversation changes. Yes, they're still angry, but they've had to focus on something else until they could focus on being angry again, whether that's walking down the hallway or following behind you to the office. Another trick that I use is I lower my voice a little bit because it does change the momentum in their brain. And I I will have to find the study for this, but basically if you make them strain to hear you. You know, if you, if you talk a little bit lower, it actually makes them stop. I'm going to do this here. It actually makes them stop the thought process in their head because they have to figure out what the heck you're saying because you changed your tone. 
did you end up doing that? Maybe you were driving along just now and you realized that I was changing my tone. You're like, why the heck is she whispering now? And you actually stopped your thought process and you tuned in. And that's what I mean. We're going to interrupt the motion that that patient's anger, it's, it's in motion. We're interrupting that just for a brief second and just trying to stop that tidal wave, right? I mean, if they're angry, they're going to be angry, but we don't want it to build and get out of hand. Getting them into a separate situation, talking to them in a very calm voice. And you know, you don't have to fix it right then and there. So if you want to try to get that 24-hour rule in there, you can. Perhaps you would like to say to them, Ms. Jones, I understand that you're angry. I'd like to get to the bottom of this. I'd like to ask some questions of my team. Do you mind if we get in touch uh, tomorrow? I'd like to call you. Is there a good time? What you're doing there is gaining control of the conversation again. If you just let Mrs. Jones go crazy on you, you're not in control of the conversation. This has to do also with employee interactions. If you feel like you're having an interaction with Jill, let's, let's, let's make Jill the bad girl today. If you're having a conversation with Jill and she's really not responding and you can see she's kind of shut down, you know, she's crossed her arms and she's glaring at you, you don't have control of that conversation. So what you could do is say, Jill, listen, I don't think we're going to accomplish much today because I've said what I need to say. I understand your point of view. What I'd like to do is take some time and we'll talk about this tomorrow. Could we meet before the morning huddle? And you need to make it a time, not just say, let's meet tomorrow and talk about it. Tie it down to a time because if you don't, the day will get away from you and then it'll just go on and on and on and it can feel like it was unfinished. And then Jill has every right to say, yeah, she promised she would do something about it. And then we never talked about it again. And she would be right. So tie it down to a time, whether it's the end of the day, before lunch, whatever, and then keep your your promise to address it. It may not go in Jill's favor, but you as a manager, you as a leader, you still have to address it and you still have to document it. Remember that. That's the whole side part. Uh, the, the paperwork of being a manager is that all of these conversations that you have, doctors too, you got to document it so that you have a record that they were either warned or that you had the conversation so that you remember when it's time to do their reviews that you had this issue five months ago. It's really important for you to keep track of that. You know, as, a, as an aside, what I like to do with the managers I work with is to have them keep what we call a managerial log, whether it's a document that's password protected on the computer or it's an actual journal that they keep with them. They can make little notes about interactions with the team that aren't officially part of the personnel record. I mean, you should write up official documentation if you need to, uh, uh, some sort of disciplinary action, or perhaps you're sending them home, something like that. That should always be written up professionally. But sometimes we managers just need to remember things and we have so much going on. So, you know, if I do a review for somebody today, I know that there was something about four months ago that I had an issue with, but sure, I wish I could remember if I'm keeping a journal, it's kind of a diary. If I'm keeping a journal, then I'm going to be able to flip back and go, oh yeah, we had that big issue. So that way you have complete accounting of all the issues that you had with that person with Jill uh, since her last review. So, and hopefully Jill, you know, straightens up and I hope you don't have a Jill, but at some point or another, most, most managers and owners have, have a Jill. So what happens if you are the one who is making yourself mad? What if you really messed up on something? What if you, you said something wrong in front of the team and now you've got to own it. Well, that's, that's kind of tough to do sometimes. I mean, it's the right thing to do to admit you were wrong, but it doesn't feel good, right? I mean, I, I definitely don't think it feels good when I have to admit I really screwed up. 
you may need to do that. You may need to go home, think about it, think about how you're going to phrase it. Because remember, you're going to have to phrase it in a way that you're not, you're not upsetting everybody. I know that I missed the team meeting yesterday and I know that I should have been here, but you know, you guys could have done the meeting without me. You don't need me here. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. What you're doing is you're basically including everybody in your mistake. Just own it. But sometimes we need 24 hours, maybe not even 24 hours, but sometimes we need some time to sort that out in our head so that we know what exactly we're going to say. And I think you know, and I know that when you make a mistake and you have to own it and it has affected people in the office, you're going to be thinking about it for a long time. Unfortunately, I can definitely think of some managerial mistakes that I've made along the way that have not been fun to think about, but I know that as a result of those, I made some changes. I made some personal changes. I made some professional changes and I got better with it so that I wouldn't make those types of mistakes again. Those are, those are topics for other episodes and we can get into that. Okay. You had your 24 hours, right? Okay. So you're coming back into the office morning. You're, you're fresh. You got good coffee. You thought about how you're going to address it. You're going to go over it with the intended person or the patient. One important issue to think about is that they have also had 24 hours to think about the same topic. You can't expect that they're going to be in the same mood that they were in when they left. If they were mad, they may not be mad anymore, which is great. You could have a better conversation. However, if they left mad and they're still mad, that's, that's their right. That's their right to be angry. So don't expect that just because you've calmed down, that the other person has calmed down. Your 24 hours may not be the same as their 24 hours. What I would do is ask that person privately if you could meet and you know have a talk. And, and I'll leave this one up to you because you'll know how bad or good the situation is. Maybe you just need to have a quick chat in the hallway and talk privately. Or maybe you want to have that talk where somebody is in the middle, whether it's the manager or the owner dentist. Maybe that's the talk that you have because you want a witness or because it's that important. I'll leave that up to you because that is definitely going to be a case-by-case situation. After you have that talk, though, you're going to want to document it yourself. Now, you can write up something. You can write up a documentation, a log, just kind of attesting to what happened and what was said, what you said, what they said, and you can ask to have it admitted to your human resources file. You could also, as a manager, write it up for them so that everybody has a copy of it. I'm not a human resources expert, but when it comes to documenting interactions with employees, I know that that's very important to do. So I will have you follow what your HR department or HR company is telling you to do. Now, if you have come to an agreement, if you've come to a resolution and you know that you're not going to do XY anymore, you've agreed to do EFG now. That's, that's the new protocol. You're going to need to commit to it, either the two of you or you by yourself, whomever is making the resolution. Don't just make that and then leave it. Talk to the other person or commit to yourself that you're going to check in in another week, two weeks, depending on the situation, and see how it's going. Because if you've both come to an agreement or a resolution, it's really a good idea to check in with the other person to see if it's working for them. This is especially true when you have employees who tend to get emotional or, you know, we all have employees that kind of get in their own head. They kind of bring themselves down. They, they think that they really messed up and it kind of gets to them and they get really down about it. If you have somebody like that, you really need to keep in, in contact with how they're feeling because they do tend to feel the stress a lot more. Okay. So in having a good personality test, you know, I used to not be fans, a person, a fan of personality tests. 
But as I've gotten older and more seasoned in this consulting game, I do know that they make a big difference. Kevin Henry, who you've heard on here before, he does the dispersonality test. There's Forte. There's just a ton out there. And if you just Google dental personality test, there's companies that administer that. But you know, Kevin does a good job. My friend Malika does a good job with it. There's lots of resources out there for you. So what about if you make the purchase? What if you slept for that 24 hours and you got that new car, you got that new ring, or you got that new, I don't know, beach house? Maybe you went ahead and purchased something big. If you did that and 24 hours later, you woke up and you thought, yes, I can do that. I'm totally able to do that. And I'm really excited about it. I think that's awesome. I hope you make the purchase. I hope you make the investment and I hope you enjoy the new toy or house or whatever it is. Because I think when you give yourself some time to weigh the pros and cons, you have made a very good, not just emotional decision. There's definitely some emotion involved, but you made a really good logical decision. And it's a decision that you can stand by. It's not something that down the road, you're going to go, you know, I should have, I shouldn't have done that. Regret is a tough feeling. And if I can take away a lot of regret for you, I hope that this has helped. Emotional? Yes, we can all be emotional. Logical? Yes, we can all be logical. But sometimes the two don't happen at the same time. And that's why this rule has been very, very important, not only to me personally, in my marriage, with my child, and now my child in his personal life, and also my professional life. I have always said that I had one of the best bosses I have ever met. He's fantastic. But there were times and I'm sure for him too, we needed to drive home and just get away from each other because things were getting heated. And honestly, I did need it on sometimes. I'm sure he did too. But that's the beauty of it. After you think about it and come to a conclusion, you can kind of look at it down the road and talk to each other and say, hey, remember when we had that big issue? Because that's what we do now. And it actually works out really well. So if you have any questions about that, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear your opinion. Maybe you had a situation where you needed 24 hours. Heck, maybe you needed 48 hours. I don't know. If you had that situation and you feel like sharing, I'd love to hear it. My email is always uh, on the show note. Uh, it's Teresa at odysseymgmt.com. I also want to remind you that the ebook is still available, the 50 plus page ebook that is called it's actually all focused on uh, preparing, prospering, protection in the new year. There's six of us that contributed forms and guides to it, and it's completely free. The link is in the show notes, and I hope that you enjoy it. It was kind of a labor of love from all six of us. So, okay, until the next episode, you know, I truly value the time that you spend with me. Thank you. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.